Well, good morning, and, and well done for getting here. Good morning, and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church, and Happy New Year. Um, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor in training here, and it's my privilege to, to be able to welcome you here on this, this new day, um, this new year, uh, and it's great to, to have you to join us this morning. This morning is a family service which means we'll all be in here together. Uh, there is no Sunday school. Kids will be in here and we'll all be making noise and getting involved. And we might need to make a little bit more noise than we normally would, in fact, because there's relatively fewer of us. And we've come now to the point of Solomon. Uh, and it's so that this morning we come to this, this message of choosing wisely. Uh, and Solomon has a couple of things to, to teach us on that. Um, but Lisa is going to come and she's going to give the reading in Second Chronicles Seven, or Second Chronicles one, verse seven to thirteen, and she's going to read from the International Children's Bible, just because the language is a little bit simpler. So, as Mark said, the reading this morning is from Second Chronicles one, verses seven to thirteen. That night, God appeared to Solomon, and God said, "Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you." And Solomon answered, "You have been very kind to my father David." You have chosen me to be the king in his place. Now, Lord God, may your promise to my father David come true. You have made me king of a very large nation, and there are so many of them, they are like dust on the earth. Now, give me wisdom and knowledge so I can lead these people in the right way. No one can rule them without your help. God said to Solomon, what you want is good. I have chosen you to be king of these people and you've not asked for wealth or riches or honor. And you've not asked for your enemies to be killed. You have not asked for a long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge to lead my people. So I will give you wisdom and knowledge. I will also give you more wealth, riches and honor than any king who has lived before you. And the kings who will live after you will not have as much. Then Solomon left the place of worship at Gibeon, and he left the meeting tent and went back to Israel. There, King Solomon ruled, ruled over Israel. Thank you to God for this reading. Um, so it's New Year's Day, and some of you may or may not have, I don't know, have you, anybody made any New Year's resolutions? Kids might not know what a resolution is. A resolution is a choice to try and do something better, to either take up something that's good for you or to stop doing something that's not good for you. Anybody made any resolutions? We're a very realistic bunch in here, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you go out, some, I don't know, I think a lot of people do make resolutions and most people's resolutions are about what they would like for themselves in this new year, how they would like their life to change, how they would like themselves to change. And if we were to ask people, most of their choices would be focused on themselves. Well, in our passage here, we have King Solomon, not at the start of a new year, but at the start of a new reign and he has some choices to make. Solomon was the, the son of great King David, do you remember? And, and so Solomon 
has this position of being king over all of Israel. And it's a huge responsibility. And he has some choices to make. What kind of a king is he going to be? What kind of a person is he going to be? And we saw in the reading that that Lisa read that Solomon has this moment where God actually comes to him and asks, what can I do for you? Well, before we get to Solomon, I want some kids to help me. And actually, you know, we might all need to get involved here. But let's see if any of you kids can help me. What would you say if the people that I'm going to show you came to you and said, what can I do for you? So we have here, I think, a mechanic, somebody who fixes cars, and he comes up to you and says, what can I do for you? What would you say? What would you say? Can you fix my car? That's what you'd ask a mechanic to do, right? Okay. How about this? A baker. What about a Malachi? Can I have some cake? Can I have some cake? Great. That's what you'd ask a baker, right? Um, a politician. Maybe you wouldn't answer that question. <laughs> right. <laughs> a policeman. If a policeman comes and says, How, what can I do for you? What would you say, Maisie? Arrest someone. Yeah, you'd ask them to protect you, to arrest somebody, to do what their job is. Uh, if you had a king, somebody who has had loads of wealth and money and had the power to, to give you stuff, what would you ask for? I don't know. You might ask for land, or you might ask for them to make some laws that would make life easier for you. What about a parent, a mom or a dad or a granny or a granddad? What would you ask them for? A sweetie. <laughs> I was going to try and prompt you by saying you might ask for a hug, because you're not going to ask a policeman for a hug, are you, or a mechanic? And you're not going to ask a, a, a mechanic to bake you a cake. You're not going to ask a baker to fix your car, and you're not going to ask a policeman for a hug, and you're not going to ask your parents to arrest somebody unless they happen to be policemen. But here's the point. It matters who's asking the question. It matters who's asking the question. And this is what Solomon sees when God comes to him. Solomon sees who is asking the question. And that makes all the difference for what you ask for. Because we read that Solomon recognizes that God is the God who keeps promises. He's the God who had kept his promise to his father David. We looked at that a few weeks back, that, that God had promised to David that he would give him a kingdom that would last forever and that he would put a son on his throne. And Solomon saw that, that God had been good to David and kept his promises. He also saw that God had been good to, to Abraham. When we think way back what God promised Abraham... He promised him that he would have a family and that family would be too many to count. It would be like the sand on the seashore or like dust on the earth is what our verse said this morning. Solomon recognized that God keeps promises and he's the God who is powerful 
He's the God who, in fact, has all power and all resources. Everything on earth is his. And Solomon recognizes that it's this God that stands in front of him and says, what can I do for you? And that knowledge changes what Solomon asks for. We're going to look at what Solomon asks for in a little while. And it's a bit surprising, maybe. But here, we today, we might not have the very same experience that Solomon did. We might not stand face to face with God, with him asking, what can I do for you? But know this, God does ask you, what can I do for you? That's mind-blowing when you think about it, that God of the whole universe, the one who created everything, he stands and he says, what can I do for you? Well, Jesus, we are told, came not to serve, not to be served, rather. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. He didn't come to take things, he came to to give something. And so what are we going to ask God for? Perhaps, perhaps your instinct is to ask God for money. God could give us money. Maybe that's your instinct to say you want a better job, that you want more friends or um, you want better health. That might be our instinct, but Wait a minute and see who it is who asks us the question, what can I do for you? And when we see who it is, we might just see that actually the things that we ask from God are way too small, way too small, because God doesn't just come to give us stuff. He comes to give us everlasting life in him. He comes to give us his very self. So when our our mind goes to the things that God might give us, we are thinking way too small, and we're not seeing the massive God, the awesome God, the gracious God who forgives sin and who offers eternal life. We're not seeing him when all we think of to pray to God and ask for is stuff. We're thinking too small. And we need to remember that God is this awesome God who gives us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have everlasting life with him. Well, I wonder if you remember the story of of Jesus at the well. Remember Jesus, he went to the well with a Samaritan woman, and, and he was asking her for a drink because it was noon and he was thirsty. They were there to get water. He said to her, because she didn't recognize who he was, he said, if you had, if you had recognized me, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, she didn't see who was right in front of her, not initially at least. She didn't see that Jesus was the one who could give her not just water to quench her thirst, but could give her life that would last forever. 
And I wonder if sometimes we're a bit like that Samaritan woman at the well. When we see Jesus and we think, I'm thirsty. I want something to quench my thirst now. But we forget that Jesus comes to give us this living water that springs up to eternal life. So we need to look at the question, but we also need to see who is asking the question of what can I do for you? We see that in Solomon's response, he is in no doubt about who God is and what he can offer. He knows that he is this God of all of history, the God who keeps promises, the God who is all-powerful. So we've looked at the first part of Solomon's response. It wasn't actually to ask for anything. It was to recognize it was to recognize who was asking him the question. And so Solomon sees that it is this great big God, and there's nothing that he cannot do. The God who always does what he says he will do. It's this God who stands before Solomon and says, what can I do for you? And having seen who asked the question, what Solomon does next is actually staggering because Solomon doesn't seek things for himself. He seeks God's kingdom. Yes, Solomon's answer is something that we should be in awe of. There are, there are many things actually in Solomon's life that are questionable at best. He's a sinful man in many ways, but, but here in this scene, there is a lot that we can learn from Solomon in his response here. It's not self-centered, it is, it's kingdom-centered. And he asks, as we see, for wisdom. And he asks for wisdom for a very specific purpose. Again, it's, it's not to build himself up, but it's to, to build God's people up, to build God's kingdom up. He, he recognizes, if you look in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, where we also read this story, that Solomon just felt like a child, unable to, to rule over this people that were so vast. And he needed help. He needed wisdom so that he could be a good king. And God is, is pleased, we see, with Solomon's request. He was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom instead of wealth. And so God grants Solomon wisdom and knowledge, and he also adds to him what he didn't ask for. He adds to him wealth and honor. And Solomon, we see, becomes the richest as well as the wisest of all kings. And his request reminds me of, of the verses that we read in the New Testament, Jesus giving the advice that we should seek first his kingdom, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Solomon's request shows that he seeks God's kingdom, and, and God's response gives Solomon far more than he could ever have dreamed of. But as we will go on to see, seeking God's kingdom is not a one-off event. It's not something that is done once and then done forever. It is it is a daily need, something that needs repetition. But, but first, let's just pause to focus on what is this wisdom? What is wisdom that Solomon seeks? Well, according to the Bible and to Solomon himself, wisdom is not linked to intellect, intelligence, so much as it is to attitude. 
Um, it's not so much a, a head thing as a heart thing and a whole person thing. In fact, wisdom is worship. In so many ways, wisdom is worship. Because wisdom is the right and proper worship of a holy, loving, and pure God. And the Bible tells us that actually the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear as in awe, recognizing who God is and falling at his feet. And so when Solomon asks for wisdom, having seen the God who asked, what can I do for you? His response is essentially, let me see you more. For wisdom is to see God, to tremble in awe at who he is and to worship him. This is the wisdom that Solomon sought. And when we see wisdom in this way, we understand that wisdom is, it's not so much a thing that we own. It's an action that we do. It's not something we, we get so much as something that we practice. It's, intelligence is a, a capacity in us, but wisdom is a response of worship that flows out of looking intently at the glory of God. Now, the, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness in the Bible, and foolishness is to worship anything more than God to worship anything or anyone instead of God. So when Solomon seeks wisdom, he seeks God and God's kingdom. He seeks God's kingdom first. And I wonder what it would mean for us here today. What would it mean for us to seek God's kingdom in this new year, in 2023 in Bankery, in your workplace, in your home or your neighborhoods? What would it look like to seek God's kingdom? Well, for one, it would mean prioritizing worship. Worship. Wisdom is worship. And in all areas of our lives, it would mean desiring to see more of God and to fall in awe at his feet. And a funny thing happens when we do that. When we, when we see who God is and when we worship him, everything else in life that might fight for our worship pales into insignificance. When we see God for who he truly is, when we worship him for who he is, we see everything else for what it is too. To seek God's kingdom for us might mean letting go of the worship, our dependence, our controlling desire for other things that are not God. For, for wealth, our health, our even happiness, and seeing how instead we could use our wealth and our health and our time and all of the good things that God gives us to seek his kingdom, to serve his mission instead of worshiping the things that God gives us to worship him instead. Seeking God's kingdom is to worship him and desire the things that he desires, to desire his mission. And his mission is to save people like you and me from sin so that we might learn to truly live and worship him for all that he is worth. To seek God's kingdom is to ask, in what ways can that be my focus this year? As a church, how can we seek God's kingdom in Bankery and the Deeside Valley? And perhaps for us it might mean investing in a ministry trainee. Or perhaps it would mean 
intentionally setting aside money and time to support mission home and abroad, prayerfully considering perhaps what God would have us do in a Boeing. And no doubt this would cost us, but this is what it looks like to seek God's kingdom. Perhaps it would mean for some of us spending time individually training ourselves and seeking opportunities to become better equipped to teach God's Word, maybe in the MTA, the Ministry Training Apprenticeships, our academy. But perhaps it, it means being more intentional at, at home with our families. Um, I know that's certainly something that is needed for me. And perhaps it means prioritizing meeting together as a church each Sunday so that we might worship together and grow up more and more into the mission of the church, more and more into the wisdom of God. Perhaps for some, seeking God's wisdom might mean taking a job that would open opportunities to share the gospel and the good news that God is a God who saves, regardless of actually the personal costs that might come along with that. Now, these are, are tangible ways that we can we can seek God's kingdom first, where we can choose wisely. But there is a, a warning in, in Solomon's life as well. There's a warning that wisdom is not a one-time thing. So you see, in the, in the life of Solomon, as well as being a model, he is also a warning for us. Because Solomon, he wrote many books about wisdom and he has many memorable sayings about wisdom. But in so many ways, Solomon, for all his wisdom, acted like a fool. Because although Solomon started out with wisdom, worshiping God and seeing God for who he is and seeking his kingdom, Solomon moved towards foolishness, worshiping himself and being filled with thoughts of his own kingdom. Solomon, although he was wise, he later in his reign, he acted like a fool. I, I don't know about you, um, but New Year's resolutions for me are actually very easy to write. Uh, I could quite happily come up with a list of things that I would like to do better this year to, to improve on or to give up. And actually on day one, the resolution is strong. In fact, day one is when it's its strongest. And a resolution never fails on the first day. For a resolution to actually succeed, it has to be practiced and repeated until it becomes a habit. And it's the same that we see here with, with wisdom and with seeking God. It's not a one-time thing that we do once when we become a Christian and we turn to God and then the rest of life just takes care of itself. Actually, the pattern of being a Christian is daily coming to God, to coming to Him knowing that we are weak, that we are people who are dependent upon Him, that we need His wisdom. And this is a reminder that I need so much. It is so easy to drift into independence and into seeking our own kingdoms. It's so easy to forget the wisdom that once captivated us, the wisdom of Christ. Because in Solomon, we see, we see a, an imperfect example, somebody who sought wisdom and practiced wisdom. But, but in Christ, we see the perfect king, the one who never failed, the one who is wisdom personified, 
the one who seeks God's kingdom always. And when we look to him, then we are truly wise. But it is so easy for us to get distracted and to, to look elsewhere. And so this, this new year, let us, let us resolve to do this one thing. Let us resolve to, to choose wisely in worship. Day by day, let us look to Christ and worship him. Let us, this new year, see Christ standing before us with arms open, asking, what can I do for you? And as we do, let's not seek the small things. Let's not, let's not go after the small stuff that fades and disappears. Let's us, let us choose wisely and seek God's kingdom. Let us seek what he would have us do in worshiping him day by day so that actually our lives would be filled with joy-filled worship and that we would be part of something so much bigger than just building our own small kingdom, but that actually God would, would call us to build his kingdom here in Bankery by telling others about what he has done for us, that we would be part of his kingdom in the Deeside Valley and beyond. And let's pray that we would partner with churches around the world as this work continues. Let us, let us choose wisely this year to to see the God who asks, what can I do for you? And say, we are here to serve him as he has come to serve us and to save us. If you are someone who has, like me, on many occasions, strayed from God's wisdom, strayed from the true worship of God, you know, know today that Christ still stands before you and asks, what can I do for you? And let us not forget that it is he who asks it. Let us truly see him, the one who is gracious and compassionate and merciful. And let us see the magnitude of what is on offer for us when he asks us that question. He offers us his very self, his life. At the start of this new year, let's resolve to seek God's kingdom first, not just in, in order of sequence, that we would do that first and then get on to the other things, but actually that we would seek it first and always, first in order of significance and importance. And let us practice the wisdom of falling in worship at the feet of our glorious creator, our wonderful savior, and let us give him the glory that he alone deserves. words of the blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.